Welcome everyone to the Witty Words of Wisdom podcast. Today, we're going to read chapter 1 of Occult Anatomy in the Bible. Chapter 1, The Archetype, or the heavenly pattern of the human body, the formula of a creation. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified. Hebrews 9.23 The universal formula of creation is stated by St. John, in the opening verses of his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. The Word is formulated of the four alchemical principles of fire, air, earth, and water, or in the words of Enoch, and I gave him a name, Adam, from the four substances, the east, the west, the north, and the south. These four streams of force represent the ultimate polarity, fire and air being positive or masculine, earth and water being negative or feminine. Such are the potencies concentrated in each minute, minute cell in which life has its beginning. Each cell is formed of the masculine principle of life, coalesced with the feminine principle of form. The two powers represent longitudinal, and horizontal lines that bisect and divide the cell, impressing upon it the signature of the cross, which is the signature of earth as well, of the human life evolving upon it. The nucleus of each cell is visible as a spark of light blazing like a miniature star. This is the precipitation of the essence of life, the heart of the word, which may be translated as love for the word or cosmic Christ principle, and love are interchangeable terms, and the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. John 1.14 Hence we may comprehend something of the truly divine origin of the freshly tabernacle. It is not part of the wisdom to deny or abuse the body. True wisdom reverses, transforms, and glorifies it. From the beginning of creation, the human family has been enforced by the archetypal forces of the stars personified in revelation as the seven spirits before the throne and the celestial hosts, before there were any visible bodies in the heavens. These spirits and angelic hosts sang before God's throne. Even as the human ego pre-exists in the heavens before incarnation in a physical body, the spirit of Saturn, capitalistically, the archangel Cassio, gave the initial impulse of the word in the first day of creation. Saturn is the architect of the solar system and his signature is found in the bony structure of the human body, symbol of all that is most firm and most enduring. The spirit of the sun, the archangel Michael, the Christ representative in the war of light against darkness, is personified word, life's all-victorious radiance of the second creative day. The spirit of the moon, the archangel Gabriel, on the third day, said is seal upon the archetypal patterns of etheric forces which are the matrix of incarnational cycles um mars the arch- archangel samuel on the fourth day impregnated the human soul with his own dynamic rhythm so that it might desire the change without progress is impossible without which its progress is impossible 
and the fifth day the spirit of Mercury, Archangel Raphael, impregnated the mortal intelligence with the capacity of reason so that it might become attuned to spiritual veridities. And the sixth day Jupiter will confer the gift of creative imagination and Venus will refine and transmute the soul essences into usable power. Their archangels are Zachariel and Anil, respectively. The seventh day is a culmination of the six foregoing labors, bringing to its close our great cycle of evolution when the heavens shall be rolled together as a scroll. The seven great days are reflected on a smaller scale in the various sub-cycles of evolution on Earth. Three are already passed, namely the Saturn period, correlating to the Polarian Epoch, the Sun period to the Hyperbian, and the Moon period to the Lemurian, and a similar recapitulation of past epochs occurs within the cycles of each of the great races. <laughs> Some of these words are really challenging me. And it's good to expand the vocabulary here. In the Polarian Epoch, the Earth was still a part of the solar nebula. At the close of the Hyperbian Epoch, the Earth was expelled from the Sun, and in the beginning of the Lemurian Epoch, the Moon was expelled from the Earth. The Polarian Epoch, aeons previous to the Earth's separation from the Sun and its projection into space, the life wave, the life wave which is our present Earth humanity, and already involved a kind of body not densely physical, it is true, but gaseous and amorphous, with a feeler-like organ protruding from the top of that portion of the form which later developed into the head. After the body had evolved to something like its present human form, the protruding organ withdrew into the head and gradually became the pineal, pineal gland, the third eye. This first man was the result of work performed under the supervision of the hierarchies of Aries, Taurus, and Gemini. The human spirit was not able to do its work alone, and the supervision of the angelic host was really an internal guidance, the evolving life being controlled and directed from within, as it is then had no free will of its own. The forces of Aries injected the spark of life into the archetypal form produced by Taurus and the dual force of Gemini, so that its androgen impress upon the vivified archetype in a way which later resulted in the appearance of lungs. The forces of Leo then gave the fiery impulse which fashions the heart. The second day or Hyperbian epoch came under the higher, higher, hierarchy supervision of Cancer and Virgo. The archetypal pattern now began to assume a more def definite form and was luminous with an inner shining. The embryonic Element, alimentary canal and glandular system were added where the lungs became centers of radiant light. It was in the second or Sunday that the archangelic Christ dedicated himself to the service of the earth. It is of interest to note that Christianity sets aside the Sunday each week for dedication to the Christ. The archetype of the second day, pardon me, the archetypal pattern of the second day still retained the androgen of the impress one at its close the earth became detached from the sun the work of the moon day or 
Lemurian Epoch came largely under the interior guidance of the hierarchies of Gemini and Libra. Then for the first time, the human figure assumed its present outlines. This cerebrospinal nervous system and the voluntary muscles were then developed. The sympathetic nervous system had been originated earlier in the moon period. Under the lunar influences, the hard bony skeletal skeleton replaced the soft um, <laughs> cartilaginous structure of earlier times. The lung centers became gill-like in structure as they adapted themselves from the fiery fog of Lemuria to the water-laden atmosphere which was to characterize Atlantis. This adaptation occupied the millions of years intervening between the late Lemurian Epoch and the early Atlantean Epoch. It was at the beginning of the Lemurian Epoch that the moon was detached from the earth, a change which brought about a corresponding archetypal adaptation. The archetype no longer before an androgene Empress, but expressed one sex only. The separation of the sexes therefore appears in evolution on this day. This is biblically the period of Adam and Eve, man and woman. The fourth or Mars day was largely under the dominance of Scorpio and Sagittarius and became sometime in the Lemurian epoch when the lords of mind gave the germ of mind its rudimentary principle to the vanguard of humanity and whom a division of the desired body had become possible. These pioneers felt impulses and emotions which rose out of the animal out of their animal nature, yet they vaguely perceived the existence of abstract moral and imaginative qualities. Their embryonic mind was linked with higher desires of which they now become conscious and schools of initiation were organized in order that their progress might be accelerated by careful training and thus provide teachers and guardians for their less evolved brothers. In the Atlantean Epoch, mind was given to the masses of mankind. Thus the work of third day pioneers became the work of the masses in the fourth day. Not until the fifth or Mercury day do we have a civilization on the earth such as familiar to us today? The forming of the archetypal patterns has gradually come more and more into man's own hands, giving him greater power over life and death. As humanity progresses, a minimum of the work is done by the hierarchies working through and with him. The lords of Mercury and Mars are among active at this juncture. Their planetary forces ruling the hemispheres of their brain, Mercury the right, Mars the left. The archetypal pattern of our present fifth day is under the control of the human ego. The principal work of this day is the unfoldment of the ego and the specialization of its creative powers in the forebrain, correlative to the consciously worked separation of the etheric form, the, pardon me, the etheric from the physical body. This includes also an awakening of the ductless glands this separation, which is now brought about only by rigorous effort, will be incorporated in the archetypes of the sixth grade of day, and will then be the normal heritage of every human being. The influence of Mars working through the brain involuntary 
nervous system is responsible for the harvest of sin and bloodshed which humanity reaps today. This must continue until such time as man is ready to yield allegiance to Mercury and set a Mars, when reason, not blind force, shall rule. This sixth creative day will be primarily guided by Jupiter and Venus. The archetype of this day will again radiate the luminosity of the second or Sunday. The body pattern, however, will not be a shapeless object, but will be beautiful and symmetrical, so sensitized that it cannot assimilate flesh or even plant foods, but will be sustained entirely upon the most etheric substances. Man will learn once more to derive his sustenance directly from the sunshine and air without intermediaries of any kind, as in the Hyperbian epoch. The larynx will then be the power organ of the body whereby spiritual generation through the spoken word will make man truly a god, unable to create living beings at his own will. The spiritualized centers within the head, the pineal and pituitary glands, will radiate the transmuted life essence. The heart will be in the center of the body, sending forth a continuous aura of divine protection. Give me a second to pronounce this word. The pneumogastric nerve, which connects the brain and heart, will be a thread of spiritual life force, the symbol of immortality. The principal organs of the body will assume a flower shape, the luminous and beautiful functioning perfectly to the harmonious rhythms of the spiritualized vital body. This new and perfected body will possess a dual spinal cord through which the forces of the sun and moon will flow to produce once more the spiritual equilibrium symbolized by the philosopher's stone. St. Paul had studied the sublime picture and the archetypal world when he wrote, Ye are the children of light, and the children of the new day. Thessalonians 5 5. It is to this glorified people that Christ will return that they may abide with him always. And the seventh day, creative day, God rests, the Word, having perfected off creative and evolutionary development, as included in the earth's archetypal plan, is withdrawn into the universal heart of God all good, and the archetypal pattern fashioned according to the highest emanations of the zodiacal hierarchies bears again the androgen empress, made in the image and likeness of God. Thank you to everyone who has donated and supported this cause thus far. If you aren't familiar already, please check out the Witty Words of Wisdom YouTube channel. I've released plenty of different lectures and will continue to do so as weekly updates of this as well. It's every Friday, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. A new reading chapter will be released. Also bear in mind that the link tree is in all the descriptions and thus donating does help me and our cause better put these esoteric teachings in front of a wider audience simply because I do have connections where I can get these esoteric books, but it does help. So please consider donating. Thank you very much. And I hope you enjoy the rest of the episode. Now we're going to start with the environmental archetype. The archetypal region is located in the realms of mental substance, 
the picture patterns of all that an ego has been and has attained during past incarnational cycles is vividly outlined in mind stuff. Therefore, it is by the use of the power inherent in the same mind substance that as an individual, pardon me, that an individual can gradually alter both his personal and environmental archetypes. Hence, the mind is the true occult or inner path of purification and perfection and is for this reason the most important of all vehicles of spirit be you transformed by the renewing of your mind as an adumination of profound esoteric significance as the forces of the mighty celestial hierarchies produce continuous changes in the archetypal patterns of the evolving human body so the archetypal body of the planet earth is gradually undergoing transformation a portion of the lessons learned by the disembodied spirit in the inner room between death and birth is concerned with this work. In that inner room, as in earth lies, one may perform his mission. Pardon me, I'm trying to pronounce this. Consensuously or evade responsibilities. However, the work is done. Compensating lines of force extend into the next earth life and each ego receives its just desserts. One who is born into a beautiful environment or who is the recipient of earth's bounty is receiving the reward, reward of work well done during the heaven world. Interval, a barren and desolate environment or repeated disappointments relative to the outpouring of nature's products is but the accurate toll of justice for duties evaded or ill-performed in that interworld period. Whatsoever, whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap, applies to all planes of life and being. The archetype is a vibratory mold composed of mental substance. It is activated by the ego and the strength imparted to it determines the length of the incarnation to follow. When that imparted force is spent, the life of its externalized physical form ceases. The sand in the hourglass has run out. The archetype may be compared to a hollow mold, and to that mold there is drawn the atoms of which the dense body is composed. The quality and potency of these atoms are determined by the second atom of the physical body, which carries over from one from one life to another. In the case of suicide, whose term of life did not terminate in accordance with that of the archetype, the latter continues to vibrate until such time arrives as death would naturally have occurred. During that interim, the ego experiences a painful condition that has been compared to toothache. The archetype is aching for the substance which should rightfully Right, pardon me, rightly fill it, but which it cannot again appropriate. Some recollection of the suffering that ensues becomes the de deterrent in a succeeding life to repetition of committing such a wrong against the law of life. When through concentration and contract, a contact is established with the archetype of any form, its inmost secrets become accessible. The archetype reveals its very nature. It veritably speaks to the, to the qualified investigator. Its life story is revealed through sound and light. It is grasped in its totality 
past, present, and future being rolled up into a momentary revelation since consciousness in the mental world wherein the archetype exists transcends this three-dimensional world of time and space. World Archetypes Every nation has its own archetype. This heavenly pattern is fashioned of both the highest ideals and the weaknesses of the nation. It is through the archetype which overshadows the land that the race spirit operates in an endeavor to eliminate weakness and to bring the ideal into objective manifestation. Jerusalem and the Holy Land is an illuminating example of the above statement. Located in the ethers above the physical city in the hills of Judea is the heavenly Jerusalem. This was common knowledge among the early Christians, many of whom possessed the extended sight necessary to verify for themselves. St. Peter refers in his epistle to, the upper to this upper Jerusalem. On Sunday, the sun's day, it was customary for the various groups of esoteric Christians who were following our Lord's way to assemble together and lift themselves in consciousness into ecstatic contemplation of this holy city. From this practice arose the automation current among them. So part we sadly in this troublous world to meet with joy in sweet Jerusalem. St. John in his revelation details much of this glorious vision of the heavenly Jerusalem which was granted to the worthy to behold. His divine revelation was received on the sun's day. He describes his vision as follows, And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. The heavenly archetype includes, therefore, not alone all the minute details of the earth's ge geographical structure, but also its flora and fauna, in addition to the human archetypes. Man's archetype is a direct reflection of his state of consciousness evolution at any point of time. Likewise, each organ of the physical body is an objective, objectification of its etheric counterpart in the etheric pattern in its turn, a replica of the mental realm archetype. Powerful inner spiritual forces produce the perfect physical body of the Gracian Golden Age, an era when many illumined egos walked and communed consciously with the gods. The famed sculptors of that time possessed the ability to investigate and study these heavenly images at first hand and to produce their perfect symmetrical proportions. The modern world has never ceased to marvel over the perfection with which the Greek sculptors portrayed the human body. The secret of their unparalleled sculpture are lay not in an anatomical knowledge, for that did not excel. If indeed it equaled that of our own day, but was to be found in their ability to observe the perfect body image as it exists in the archetypal world. The forces used by an ego in fashioning the archetype for another human, pardon me, for another earthly embodiment are both harmonious and destructive in nature according to the fruitage of experience in past incarnations. Weakened and malformed organs are the result of inharmonious vibrations in the archetype and are shown in squares and oppositions in the star map of in of the incoming ego. The constructive or upbuilding forces which go into the fashioning of healthy organs are reflected as benefic aspects. All objective forms possess an inner life essence wherein lies hidden the source of their existence. These are created 
as we have seen, by the angelic hosts or celestial hierarchies as we have des designated them. In the case of the human archetypal patterns, the ego that is preparing for both birth assists in the work. One of the most gifted of our modern poets, Angela Morgan, might well have been describing man's archetypal pattern when she penned those lines. These lines, pardon me. If man would wear his heavenly birth more grandly than the birth that seems, bodies would mirror God's design. Mortal no longer, but divine. Go, look within some shining pool. Behold the being, behold the being God hath made, of which the flesh is made but the tool. Witness the shape his hand portrayed. The Archetype of the Fifth Root Race A study of the archetypal loom will reveal the significance of the fourth commandment given by Moses, honor thy father and the mother, that these days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. The terms father and mother refer also to the constructive and formative principles in nature. When one learns to attune his life harmoniously to this dual creative force, he is necessarily in harmony with his fellow men. And all his acts are motivated by love and truth, the highest dictates of spirit. Moses, the great seer, relates his experience in spirit, spiritual consciousness when he was shown the pattern in the mount. He there saw the tabernacle with its holy of holies. And its deeper significance re referring to the glorified or spiritualized body of man himself which man must learn to build and inhabit in the new age, Moses repeatedly declares, I was faithful in all things to the pattern shown me in the mount, the archetypal pattern, which he saw during his 40 days. Vigil was that of the new fifth root race, the Aryan, which was then in the process of formation under the supervision of the four great hierarchies called the Lords of Destiny, namely Taurus, Scorpio, Leo, and Aquarius. Because of his experience on the mount, Moses became a lawgiver in a much more profound sense than is generally understood by Orthodox religionists. He not only met Jehovah, the angelic minister of all race, religions, face to face, and received com commands regarding the welfare of his people, but he also observed the working of the great hierarchies. He beheld them weaving the cosmic pattern typified by the tabernacle and the wilderness, which sets forth symbolically the method and the direction of spiritual growth for the entire fifth root race. This great privilege of Moses, earned by his intrinsic worthiness, he possessed a lofty spiritually spirituality, a devout humility, a forgiveness, forgetfulness of self and a readiness to sacrifice himself for the benefit of others. According to the infallible occult law, one who is worthy may for a time observe the processes being worked out on the inner planes by the exalted ones long before they manifest outwardly, and later he may assist them in their work. Moses incorporated in the book of Exodus something of the glories revealed to his contemplation during his mystic 40 days and 40 nights on the mount. 
the form and building of the Ark of the Covenant, its furnishings, the materials and colors employed in each device, contains much esoteric significance, which has been interpreted in our volume on the hex hexatoc. I think that's what it is. It's, I guess it's. Pardon me. It's another book by the author. Like Egypt's great master, Hermes Trismegistus, Moses thus verified the occult truth that things which are above are also as things which are below. Another famed biblical, biblical character who aids his testimony relative to the existence of the heavenly patterns in the prophets here, Ezekiel, who says in his mystical 43rd chapter, Afterward he brought me to the gate. Even the gate that looketh toward the east, and behold, the glory of God of Israel came from the way of the east, and his voice was like a noise of many waters, and the earth shined with his glory. So the Spirit took me up, and brought me into the inner court, and behold, the glory of the Lord filled the house. And I heard him speaking unto me out of the house, and the man stood by me. The vision vouchsafed Ezekiel shows a Further development of the celestial plan of man's progression. The cosmic schemes are woven. In the closest relationship to human needs, it is the unwinding of this scroll, which man in his blindness has considered the immutable, immutable laws of fate. Were he not so spiritually blind, he would know that the lords of destiny give up only the broad outline. Man himself is free to fill in the details. This is the law of the house upon the top of the mountain. The whole limit, therefore, round about, shall be most holy. Behold, this is the law of the house. As we have seen, every geographical feature of the earth has its heavenly counterpart, the conditions of the new age, the type of its people, and the manner of their life are reflected in the sky. And this seer beholds their descent. Descent in purity and beauty, like a bride adorned. And this concludes today's reading. Hope you enjoyed. God bless you, and have a wonderful weekend.